out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Hello and welcome. This is the C86 show. Once again, we have another special guest. This is from the archives. This is an interview I did with John French, sometimes known as John Drombo French. One time a drummer with Captain Beefheart and sometimes still working with the Magic Band. But this is an interview I did two years ago in 2017 when he was coming to Norwich and the Art Centre to play music of the Captain. This is the interview, but before that I think we'll play a track by Captain Beefheart, then Quality Chat. But this is going to be Zigzag Wanderer. Captain Beefheart and the Magic Band with a track titled Zigzag Wanderer from the album Safe as Milk. Hello, this is David Eastall. This is the C86 show. This is a special because this is an interview I did with John French two years ago when he was coming back to the art centre with the Magic Band playing the music of the great captain one more time. This is the interview and this is where I'd been asking him about um, recreating the sounds and this was his reply. John, take it away. 
thanks to the aid of computers, I don't have to write stuff out anymore like I did. I used to have to hand transcribe everything. Um, with the early stuff, though, I mean, with the early Reformation band, which started around 2003, um, sometimes all I had to do was send uh, the music and they could figure it out on the easier songs. But then on the more complex ones, I, I uh, did MIDI files. I made MIDI files up so they could really hear the music well. There were no drums, no vocals, just MIDI files. Right. And um, Denny doesn't read music, so and neither does Mark, so I was able to send those out to them, and they just listened to them and learned them by ear. Uh, and Gary Lucas also. Yes. Well, quite um, But now... Um, because I've got all guys that read, uh, I actually use uh, my digital performer, which is uh, a mark of the unicorn project um, product that I've been using for years to record. And um, I can actually make MIDI files and then print out the MIDI files. So, and they just they just have the charts, and they can read right off the charts. Wow. And also, I mean, obviously, because I came to see you last time, which was, like I said, about 18 months ago, and then the time before with most of the members of the Magic Band. It's obviously with the audience, you know, they, 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 want, they, they almost demand to hear the hits. But obviously, you as a performer don't just want to play the same old, same old stuff. So what do you what sort of makes you choose certain songs or omit other songs, especially when you know that they're probably crowd favourites? Well, sometimes uh, social media, you know, if I hear, if I see a lot of uh, people saying, why don't you do this one? You know, like for instance, 25th Century Quaker became part of the set list uh, because I, and many people mentioned it, and I always wanted to do it anyway. Denny wouldn't do it, Mark wouldn't do it, but I always wanted to do it. So uh, I thought, oh, this is a perfect time. And that's kind of an interesting piece because it's very long. Uh, and I had it, you know, you can't, it's a jam session, basically, in the studio. In, in, the whole thing is improvised. They had a basic structure for chords and went back and forth, and then there's a lot of jamming. So with that one, I actually listened to the major parts that each person played, you know, what the, what they were, the character roles that they were assuming in the song. And I wrote those out just like I was telling you, with, yes. the, with the mini file and printed. And then uh, I just signal them when to go into the next section. Cool, yes. Because obviously, you know, when sort of interviewing a lot of bands, especially from that sort of 80s, you know, new wave scene and uh, and the sort of, I suppose, indie scene and, and asking people, you know, what they grew up and they were listening to. And there were quite a few bands that come up on a regular basis, you know, Velvet Underground, you know, um, and and Captain Beefheart as well, and the Stooges, you know, Iggy Pop and the Stooges. So obviously, the work of Captain Beefheart is kind of held as as a sort of almost the blueprint for a lot of creative people. I mean, what is it about the music of the great Captain that that still makes people want to pick up a guitar and and made him so innovative? Uh, I think the fact that he broke about every rule in the book. <laughs> Yeah, it was very unusual music. You've got people pay, playing in different time signatures and sometimes in different key signatures simultaneously. So it causes the music to have this sort of dizzying effect because you can't really focus on one part. You're you're hearing uh, multiple riffs 
at the same time. And um, and it's very difficult. It's very challenging music, as you said earlier. I think those are the two key factors. Plus the, the poetic value, if you look at uh, the lyrics. The lyrics are amazing. They're brilliant. Yes. Well, they're, they're sort of both sort of, I suppose, a bit like at, at times with what David Bowie did with his kind of quite abstract as well as being sort of quite, um, yeah, I mean, and sort of quite... I don't know, I suppose created sort of interesting ideas or sort of just put interesting words together, which sounded brilliant, but you don't really know what they mean. Like, you know, with David Barry, I always remember him doing a song which had the yeah, line. Yeah, very abstract. It's so abstract, it's that's the word that I was trying to find. Yeah. And also, I mean, obviously there's quite a few, you know, documentaries I've seen about Captain Beefheart and, and some of the recording processes sound like they were, were near to sort of breaking the members of the band into pieces. I mean, were you part of that process, which almost felt like you were locked in a house and weren't able to leave? Well, I sort of was for a while. Um, and basically, it was financial. You know, we, I, I didn't have a car. <laughs> I didn't have any money. And I was just kind of stuck in that situation. But it was very uncomfortable to be there. And uh, you're talking about breaking down you're you're saying you're talking about breaking down people's willpower or personalities, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. It was kind of a I I would call it brainwashing to an extent because it it was highly traumatic to everybody in different ways. One of the guys had to have therapy for a couple of years, um, and and it affected us all, of course, differently. And so our manifestations of that trauma that occurred in our lives um, come out in different ways. You know, we all have certain quirks about us. Uh, and I'm, I mean, what I'm talking about is Bill Harkerode and Mark Boston and and uh, Jeff Cotton and myself. Yes. I mean, obviously... So yeah, I actually had a psychologist call me up after he read my book and he said, uh, by the way, have you read my book? I have to be honest, I haven't actually. Okay. Well, he re- he read my book, and he sa- after he read it, he said, you know, I've, I've got a minor in psychology, and he said, I really believe that you suffered from post-traumatic stress syndrome for years after that. And uh, I thought, yeah, that kind of explains a lot of things, because I was uh, kind of a social mit- misfit, and I was afraid to commit to anything for years. I wouldn't say it was until my mid-30s that I really started getting on my feet. Yes. I mean, and, and sort of, I mean, obviously with year, years of decades of experience, I mean, when you look back at that time, do you sort of feel like boggled what, what happened to you? Because obviously we, we sort of, you know, obviously watch a lot of documentaries on the 60s and you sort of obviously it starts well and then it gets a little bit dark and then it gets to Charles Manson and and the family so I mean obviously there were sort of slight parallels to the the Captain Beefheart experience as well yeah there were um I would say and Jeff Cotton and I talked about this one time and we both felt that Manson was nothing as far as power goes compared to Don Don was very powerful uh, for a while, and you know, we were like uh, seven to eight years his junior in age, and you know, we all sort of looked up to him because he was this uh, great blues singer. You know, he sort of made a name for himself already, 
and and uh, so we were really trying to uh, understand <laughs> what he wanted from us. But I, I I personally think that it was a lot of wasted time. I think that uh, we could have finished the album a lot earlier, and his own uh, psychoses uh, really kind of you know affected all of us. Because we were looking at this as reality, but we weren't in a realistic situation at all. Mm. But so, so it's quite <coughs> so it's quite in, it's quite interesting that that you're still still able to go back and play the music from from you know the captain's back catalogue. I mean, does I mean? Yeah, that, well, the, the the music was the only good thing that came out of that. You know, there wasn't much else that was good, but the music the music was. Uh, it broke uh, it broke a lot of rules and it uh, it opened up doors. I've had classical musicians come up to me and say that it changed the whole after they heard Chopmaster Replica and Lick Mighty Cows that it changed the whole concept of the way they thought about music and they realized that there were way more possibilities than they'd ever dreamed of. Yes. And so that's a positive thing that came out of it. So the music. That is my tribute to Don, yeah. you know, as far as I can't really say much, you know, I couldn't give him a character reference, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I can say that, uh, you know, and, and truly, even though, you know, basically everything is credited to Don, you know, uh, we deserve some credit there too, because a lot of the stuff was put together when Donnie wasn't even around. Yeah. We just kind of figure out, well, how are we going to do this? And, uh, at first, I was sort of musical director, so I was saying, well, let's do this, you know, let's try this. And uh, and so, and it, later it became Bill who did that, and then later on down the line, it was other people, you know, Bruce Fowler had a lot to do with it. Eric Drew Feldman had a lot to do with it. Yes. <coughs> Excuse me. And obviously, you've, you know, you know, the... I mean, it's been it's been quite a journey. I mean, would you put sort of Captain Beefheart in the sort of uh, the, you know Don Van Zink? Think, um, would you put him in the t- uh, a term of uh, would you would you refer to him as a genius? Would you sort of put him into that category? I would say more lyrically than musically. Uh, his musical ideas were sort of <laughs> a hodgepodge of he had all these ideas that he wanted to do, but. Uh, and they were very simple ideas. If you break down one of the beef art songs, just have one guitar player, one bass player, what you know, whatever. Um, they're fairly simplistic parts. It's when they're put together that it becomes this uh, completely different entity. And um, he didn't really, really, uh, you know, the rules that he was breaking. He was not aware of the rules. Yeah. He never studied music. He wasn't a disciplined. You know, like, for instance, Frank Zappa actually really knew what he was doing musically, you know. Uh, he studied music. He, he understood, uh, you know, he could tell you what chord, what the chord was in any given place in his music, and he wrote it all out for people, whereas Don didn't do that. You know, it was all done on cassette players and given, you know, basically processed by the band, and yes. it always was that way. Fantastic. And just lastly, I mean, what was your fondest kind of um, album and sort of memory of uh, working with Captain Beefheart? 
Yeah. I'll probably dock, dock at the radar station because I wasn't in the band long enough to get trapped into that uh, sort of uh, cult-like web. You know, I was there for a short time. I played on the album and I left afterwards. And uh, it, it was it was kind of a good experience. Uh, Morris Tepper, who was then Jeff Tepper, and Aaron Drew Feldman, and uh, Robert Williams and I, and uh, Gary Lucas came in, but he wasn't really in the band. He came, in, he flew in from New York, and played a solo on one thing, and then he did some French horn on something else. Um, that was that was sort of a, more of a fond memory because. I was getting along well with Don. I was independent enough to where I didn't feel like I was being drawn in that web, that cult web. Yes. You know? So that that album gave me a, a, a better feeling than the others. Fantastic. Oh, yeah, just one last question. What would you, okay. what would you, what would you say to your 18-year-old self starting out on music with, a bit of, with the experience you have now? What would I say to my 18-year-old self? Yes. Don't join that band. <laughs> because really, it financially killed me to join that. And I got, you know, I got um, pigeonholed into a particular style of music, and I could never get out of it. Now, if I would have been playing with uh, Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, or, you know, one of the other contemporary groups at the time... I think I would have had a chance to become maybe a session drummer or work with a lot of their players. And I was a pretty good session drummer, actually. The very first album that I did, the guy said, you know, we love your kick drum, uh, the work that you do with the kick drum. And they were listening to all kinds of studio players all the time. But they, you know, and I thought to myself later, I thought, geez, you know, if I would have... Uh, been independent if I'd have had my own car and could have gotten away from Don or not never joined the group, you know, I could have had a chance to be a fairly successful musician, you know, in the sense of, I'm talking in the financial sense, which anybody who leaves that out of the equation is just an idealistic fool. You know, you have to make money in anything you do in order to really succeed. Yeah, I used to tell Don, I said, why don't you, you know, why are you going so far out so fast? Why don't you do some blues albums? And when I say blues albums, I'm talking about stuff like uh, our Diddy Wah Diddy was a great, you know, that was a big hit. And the only thing that kept it from being a much bigger hit was that a group on the East Coast recorded it at the same time and released it. So it was a, you know, promoter's nightmare. Yeah. Uh, but that and uh, some of the stuff on Save His Milk, you know, sure enough, and yes, I do. Even electricity wasn't really that far out. Abba Zabba was okay. Um, um, and, you know, and later on, he did stuff like Grow Fans, Click Clack, all these things. And, and a lot of the stuff on Clear Spot was great blues, you know. But he, he went too far out, and then he tried to come back. Well, he was already pigeonholed as, you know, Mr. Weird. So <laughs> he couldn't really come back. Yes. And, he and he, then he tried to do that turnaround with the Mercury albums, and that was just a joke because mm. they really didn't know who he was. The guys who were, who were, uh, 
<coughs> excuse me, who were producing him, Andy DiMartino and his brother, they didn't know what to do, so they were putting all these flutes, and, you know, it just didn't work that well. There's a few good things on there, like upon the Mayo Maya isn't so bad. Yes. But, um, that, you know, if I was to go back to the 18-year-old self, I'd say, don't, don't join that band. Uh, try, try another avenue. And I think I would have been happier doing that, much happier, much more successful. And that was me in conversation with John French of Captain Beefheart and the Magic Band. A big thank you for that. That was recorded and um, in 2017 when he was coming to the Norwich Arts Centre. Anyway, this has been David Eastall, The C86 Show. If you want to contact me, you can via Facebook, Twitter, even Instagram. Just go to at C86 Show. I will be there. And obviously keep it positive and groovy. Otherwise, don't bother. And also, all these shows have been archived, so you can find them on Spotify, iTunes, Podbean, Mixcloud. Just go to C86 Show. Anyway... As we say goodbye, I think I'll play another track. But anyway, have a great week. This is Electricity. Peacefully.